What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I just had an incredible conversation with my friend Justin Valley, who uh, own, has owned a couple of boutiques over the years. Um, <laughs> and uh, as you can see from the thumbnail, if you're watching this on YouTube, he showed up in a uh, Kanye graduation bear, full on, like, pro level costume. So uh, unfortunately, I couldn't hear him. Otherwise, we probably would have done more of the interview. So we don't have any clips of him in the the, the costume, but as you can see, it, it's pretty entertaining. So I'm still having a laugh, um, you know, a couple hours after we recorded. So um, anyway, this conversation was really incredible, and I think the the best part about it is Justin is uh, he's just one of the most interesting people I know. He has an incredible experience as a as a military veteran as a, you know, entrepreneur, uh, as a, you know, his life in corporate America, like there's just a lot of things that shape how he approaches running a business and, you know, more specifically how it shapes his interest in sneakers and streetwear and all the things around it. But we also got to talk about the Robinhood and uh, GameStop stock exchange, you know, kind of chaos that's been going on the last couple of weeks. And he had some interesting insights on that. So we, we, we jump right into that. I'm going to shut up and get right into it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy this, leave me a review on iTunes, like, favorite, subscribe, whatever platform you're on. Uh, you know, I just appreciate you guys. Hey, what's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Outside the Box podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. This podcast is all about kind of getting a little, a little more insight into the sneaker world, giving you opportunity to think a little bit differently, learn about the, I guess, the career paths, the, 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 the opportunities that exist that don't always get talked about, and, and maybe provide some insight into like navigating those areas a little bit better. So um, on today's episode, I have my good friend Justin on with me. Uh, Justin is a, is a longtime veteran in the sneaker game and has had, uh, I guess, multiple shops now, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm gonna just like let let me just toss it to you, man. How you been? How, how, how's life treating you? Good, good, good. What's good? What's good? How you been? How you been? I've been trying to stay safe in the pandemic, man. It's dangerous out here. <laughs> well, actually, in the in the words of Meek Mill, it's a pandemic, man. We're just trying to get money out here, man. <laughs> it's a pandemic, and we're not even worried about you know the pandemic. I know you. We holding the line on GameStop. Actually, I'm not holding the line on GameStop. <laughs> like, I'm gonna leave GameStop alone. Man, that's not for me. That was a that's whole. For, that's not for the faint at heart. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Although I, I gotta say, like, I'm pretty disappointed in Robin Hood, man. Like, you know, shutting it down. Like, I don't. I'm not. I'm not in on any of those. But like, I do use. No, Robin no you Hood gotta. And no, hold on, hold on. I, and I, I, I no I longer use Robin Hood. <laughs> no, I gotta stop you there. You see, the problem with that is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Let me give you a quick explanation on. Why they had to shut it down, right? Because what happens is when you place that trade, right? Yeah. That transaction doesn't actually happen right then, right? Exactly. Robin has floats yep. that money. Yep. So what happened is they were like, yo, I don't know if I got this money. It's think about it this way, right? It's like you trying to buy all the sneakers, right? You have you probably got some money in your account. You're trying to buy sneakers, right? And so the credit card company is like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to buy these sneakers for you and float you float you this money but you keep trying to buy all these off-whites right you're trying to buy the whole off-white collection and then they say well hold on player i don't know if you can get this all this whole off-white collection because i ain't got enough money to drop for this whole off-white collection 
So that's what happened with Robinhood. They were like, yeah. well, all these people buying, doing all these trades, we might not have enough money to float for all these trades. So it was actually good that Robinhood did that because if they didn't, they could have screwed a lot of people over, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, think yep. about it. If they didn't have the money to float and they went bankrupt, now everybody just lost all their money and they just write off all the money that people had in there. So it was a smart move on their part to do it. It it, it just came in a bad time, right? It was just a bad time. And yeah, for I sure. I mean, I just read that they got all this funding, right? All this funding for to be able to float more trades, right? So yep. it was smart on their part, right? And I mean, you gotta remember, billions of people were doing trades. People who people were taking their little their small little money and just buying trades like crazy. And yeah. you know, so I it's it sucks because it came at a terrible time, but it was good for Robinhood and for most people who are trying to trade. But yeah, I well, do understand, I do get why it sucks, but it, it's really bad. Yeah, I totally understand the the logistics of it behind the scenes, right? I think my my initial reaction was like, "Come on, like you can't you can't do this, right?" And then understanding like, okay, well they literally are going to screw everybody if they mess this up. But the one thing that that frustrated me the most was like. You know, the day that that all happened, you know, Twitter being like just lit on fire with all this like, you know, Robin Hood, GameStop stuff. Um, the CEO went on to, you know, CNBC or whatever it was and basically like said that that wasn't the reason that they stopped, that it was a it was a multiple reasons. And I'm like, there's no way in my mind, I'm thinking like exactly what you said. There's no way they had enough money to actually cover all this stuff if things yeah. went bad right and like i would rather him just acknowledge that and be like yo like the world changed in an instant and we weren't prepared for it so we had to hit the pause button if he would have said that i might have been like okay cool but the, the the problem for me is like yeah like don't be like every other ceo glossing over you know the bad things right like we need transparency at this point because if we don't we end up back in this situation that we had in 2008 where you know, millions of people lose their homes. I mean, we are in that situation yeah. from the pandemic, but like, you know, we don't need like that on top of this kind of stuff. And yeah, I think yeah. like that, that whole like covering your ass thing that happens with like executives and, and PR people, it's like, look, man, we're tired of the BS, man. We, it's been, it's been it's transparency, not, not to get political, just, just... but it's been four, four plus years of BS. We're ready for, 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 for boring old, you know, sleepy Joe, whatever you want to say. And like, let's just let's just do what the right thing is in, in these conversations instead of trying to spin it. Because at the end of the day, people rather connect with you for being right? honest about stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, but in but I always say this, right? Most CEOs just shouldn't go in front of a camera and talk about the company, bottom line. Because yeah. they try to play that, you know, like that political up right uptight game and they don't have most of them don't have the proper verbiage to be able to talk through situations. And when you get interviews from a journalist, that's their job is to catch you in something. That's just naturally their role, right? Yeah. And unless you're unless you're PR trained, which most of these CEOs aren't, they shouldn't do it, right? Um, and you know what it reminds me of? It, 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 it reminds me of a brand, right? Let's say you have, let's say LeBron James wears the Los Angeles sneaker history hoodie right and going into one of his games right he goes he he wears a hoodie right they see him down the ramp guess what 
everybody's trying to buy that hoodie right now, right? Nick, can you produce a million of those hoodies overnight? No, because guess what? I don't have the capital for that stuff. I can't support that stuff. So now yeah. you're going on, then you try to spin it like, oh, there's multiple ways. Just go on there and be like, yo, I don't got the cash for that stuff. I just had a little a printing stuff in my garage. I was pushing out some some products. You know, I was probably, you know, a thousand orders in one night. That's never happened to me before. I don't have the infrastructure to manage yeah. that, right? And that's what happened. And he should have just went on there and said that. Mark Cuban did a tweet and he said, he Mark Cuban said it, but he, he didn't explicitly directly say, he's like, yo, they just didn't have the money to float, float it, right? So yep. and that's what really happens with these smaller, you know, brokerage firms, right? And the crazy part about it is, come on, man, let's be honest. These guys aren't doing gamma squeezes on the hedge fund guys, right? Like I have two friends who work in hedge funds and who worked in hedge funds and they're laughing about us because guess what? These guys have these hedge funds. All they do is trade. That's that's their life. So yep. you think you're really squeezing them. You don't think they're making money in the opposite direction. Also, they're smart enough to figure out like we should probably move some money and move some money. You know, that, that's what they do there is to react to markets, right? So they yep. react to the market. And I'm sh I just read BlackRock made like $3 billion, right? I BlackRock's too, the yeah. top hedge fund in the <laughs> in the country, probably in the world. And they made $3 billion off the trade, right? Off the, the GameStop stuff. You think other, you know, so the, it's just, it's just, I think the hardest part for me is I am happy to see a lot of people get money out of it, but I just don't want to see people lose their shorts right in this wave. And I, I'm saying that continuously because it's true, right? People are trying to cash out their kids' college fund. People are using their life savings on it just to follow this wave to make some money. And they don't realize it's deeper than that. And you can, I mean, what is it? 200 bucks today, 100 bucks today, 175 bucks, something this morning when I looked and I was like, I was like, all these people who are holding the line, right? They just lost their whole life savings because they bought it. They bought it at 375 and they spent yeah. $60,000 and now they have nothing, right? They just took a 50, 60% hit on the price, right? And it's like, dude, you just lost all your money. So that's the part that, worries me right and then also a lot of these people who are saying hold the line they're doing options and options right yeah so they're not really buying full shares right they're doing options so they're gonna make they're making way more money than people who are just buying individual stocks so yeah it, it's it's a whole game uncle and I, uncle johnny and i talk about it all the time and we always <laughs> laugh right like he always hit me he's like he's like you see what this madness is going on so we always laugh because it's it's crazy because what happened is lack of education right and yeah. it's like anything else you know like the sneaker sneaker industry retail industry there's lack of education so all these people they just try to ride a quick wave to make a quick buck but there's no such thing as a quick buck right like you gotta uh you probably i don't know if you ever see me tweeted but there's like option gangs on twitter right like yeah that dude carl he's like hardcore into it right like he invested in the platform he's into it he that's his daily life right salute to him because he it was, he started off slow and then he just got into it heavy and he just invested more and more money and he, you know, paved the way for it. And he talks about it, right? And he's like, he even says like, you can't get emotional in this kind of stuff, right? Like yep. you just have, you have to make money. And pe a lot of people are getting emotional, like, oh, GameStop. No, like it's just a flip. You're trying to make some money and people don't realize that. And you got to know when to get out, you got enough to get in. And he even said it, right? You know, he's not getting into a lot of the ones that everyone is going after because it doesn't make sense. And for him, it doesn't make sense because he has been doing it consistently. He knows the market trends. He probably got a crazy stock trading dashboard up on his computer, so he yeah. knows what's going on. But the average person like me, and you, I don't have a Bloomberg. I'm not paying fifteen hundred Bloomberg fifteen hundred dollars to yeah. get a Bloomberg dashboard. I don't care about that stuff enough, right? You know, I'm buying stuff that I'm buying stuff that I like, right? Like I'll buy 
some Tesla. I'll buy some, I have some Apple, I have some Nike, you know, buy the stuff you like, right? Like for you, it'd be like Honda, you know, like you yeah. like Honda. There's no reason why you shouldn't have some Honda, some Adidas stocks, you know, that's the stuff we should be buying, right? You know? Well, I think, so I think that's crazy. the interesting thing, right? You make a good point about like the, the education side of it. Right. And that's, that's kind of, I mean, just like swing this back towards sneakers, right? Like you, you, the point that you made about, about, you know, if LeBron walks out in a sneaker history hoodie, I can't afford to make enough sneaker history hoodies for that type of, of, of exposure and the demand that's going to come from no, that. No it's going to be very short spiked too. Right. You never know how long that will last, but like with your experience, like, so just to give a little background, let's let's talk about like Soul Lab and Prospect, like two shops. What ten ten years in now? Like yeah, ten years, ten yeah. years. So two thousand eleven, yeah. So Soul Lab was a uh, it was in Oceanside. Um, what did you do? Six six years there, I think. Eleven to yeah, six years. Eleven to fifteen. Six years, yeah, but roughly six years. Let's so, go six years, five and a half, six years, yeah. Had a small boutique in, in Oceanside, North County, San Diego, then took a little break, moved back into or moved to Prospect and did that in Pacific Beach for a year or two. And then obviously yeah. the pandemic hits and now things are a bit different. But thinking about like that analogy that you that you mentioned, how do you how do you approach the two things? How do you approach you know, uh, like buying product that's like super hyped like that, right? Because you've had some really successful stuff of your own brand with Prospect in the last few years. But then on the flip side of that, like, like talking about the emotional thing, right? Like, I think one of the challenges for me, if I was in your shoes as a store owner who who's doing the buying for the shop and, and making sure the product is there, is getting emotionally attached to the stuff that's coming down the line and just buying all the colors that I like. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. And uh, I might have told you the story before, but uh, I remember Ten Deep. Uh, we had Ten Deep account in Soul Lab, and um, a lot of stuff Ten Deep had was like eclectic. You know, Ten Deep's a little different, right? And I mean, so I was super cautious on the stuff that I'd buy. I'd be like, damn, I would never wear something like this, right? Because I mean, I'm playing Jane. I wear, a, I mean. Right now, if you if you most ninety percent of the time are in a black tee, some blue jeans, and a pair of black sneakers or some random off weird weird color sneakers, right? I'm not trying to be flashy or anything, but Ten Deep was you know is that brand, right? Like it teaches their own. And I remember they had some crazy stuff, man, and like crazy pattern. This has been cut and so was getting it was growing, getting bigger. And um, they had a they had a shirt, a button down shirt. It was like maybe I want to say about ninety six bucks, man. And I was like. Dog, no one in Ocean Size buying a $96 shirt. And my rep was just pushing me. He's like, yo, try them, man. He's like, he's like, let's make a deal. Try these cut and sew pieces. And if nobody buys them, you know, we can we can figure something out to, to, to get them back. I was like, all right, I'll try it. I bought, we bought, it was like, I probably bought like, I don't know, like 10, 10, 10 pieces of four different cut and sew shirts, right? I'm talking about $96 shirts, right? So if they don't sell, I'm eating that that right because it's a ninety, it's a hundred dollars shirt. Probably pay fifty bucks for it. So and you, that's five hundred bucks just in one style of a shirt, right? So I remember I bought it. Kendrick Lamar wore one of their shirt, ten deep shirt. I can't remember the color or which shirt it was, but I remember Kendrick Lamar wore the shirt. 
And that that sent those 10 deep shirts spiral in down, man. People came and just bought all the 10 of that particular shirt. They bought all 10 right away, like overnight. Like, I don't know how people knew we had it, if it's from social media or something when we got it, we posted it. But people bought all those 10 deep shirts. And then we didn't have those shirts anymore because we only bought 10. And then all the other 10 deep cut and show shirts, people started buying them, right? And I'm talking about, this is a $100 button-down short sleeve shirt, dog. Like, you buy a $100 button-down short sleeve shirt, you got to be, it's expensive, right? Like, yeah. I mean, come on, let's, like, guys, that's a that's a bespoke you know, a corporate office shirt, right? A hundred dollars is expensive button-down shirt, right? I mean, short sleeve. Yeah, cor- corporate corporate employed Nick back in the day is is hesitant <laughs> to spend a hundred dollars on a polo that I really appreciate, like a polo button-down shirt, right? And like you know, you, you and I had that same appreciation for polo back in the day, right? But I'm not spending yeah, a hundred dollars. Good shirt, right? I'm gonna find like forty-five, fifty, sixty-dollar version of it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and so you buy a $96 10 deep button-down shirt. That, and the problem with these shirts is it's not like you can wear them regularly, right? It's like you wear them once. You might wear them once on a hot day with a girl, right? Your first day to impress the girl. You might pull it out on a second time randomly. But you're not wearing it regularly, right? If I buy a $100 bespoke uh, long sleeve shirt for corporate, I'm probably wearing that every, every week at least, right? I'm wearing yeah. it once a week at least, right? So... And but yeah, dudes, all those all those shirts, man, gone, man. Maybe I mean, maybe it's just because for- you and I you and I aren't the types to be living in the club, and maybe we just didn't see it, see it. Like you know, maybe that was the the move, man, right? Every he, Friday in the same shirt downtown I, San I know, Diego. <laughs> yeah, probably right. That's probably what it is, right? Literally, yeah. I remember girls are coming in and buying their shirts for their boyfriends. I'm talking about you know, it's like ninety six dollars, right? And we were down the block from the high school. We're probably like, I remember, they, they, we were like three blocks down from the high school. Ocean City High School is pretty prominent. You know, I mean, Junior Seau went there. You know, rest in peace, Junior Seau, he went there. I mean, he was always up there. He lived down the block on the beach also, so you always, always see him walking by. Um, but the high school was prominent for football, you know, pretty big for football because Junior Seau went there. They had a few basketball people and then track and field, some soccer players and stuff like that. But so, and it's a pretty, I would say, well-off school, right? So, but still, you're in high school. You buy a ninety-six dollar button-down shirt in what, 2000, in 2012, 2013. That's an expensive shirt. I don't care what anybody says. Nope. That's an expensive shirt, right? So, yeah. So that kind of transcended things overnight, right? Because we didn't have the initially. We didn't initially have all those cut and sew pieces because as a buyer, you don't. I don't want to try it because one, it's not something I'm into, right? It's not something I wear, and two, it's not. It's not. It just didn't seem feasible for the area, right? Until that one thing happened that transcends overnight, like you said. You know, like LeBron wearing that hoodie, right? Like now you now I'm now I'm like that. Those are the the, the areas where I started to be like, okay, well I can't just buy what I like because again, we can't just buy what you like. If I was to buy what I like, I'd buy all all black tees, all blue jeans, and that's all I'll sell, right? Like you know, I'd be like you'd be like a, a Gap or Old Navy, right? <laughs> So you can't really do that. You really have to like think outside the box. And I remember I was trying to teach, I was trying to tell the the kids, the the guys who worked at the shop in Prospect, I was like, hey, we can't, you can't make product for yourself, right? That's not like you, well, I'm wrong. You can't make product for yourself, but it's really tough, right? Because you're, you might have eclectic taste. You have to make something that you would like, that other people would like, that's kind of well-rounded, right? And that's, 
And that's the kind of thing that I feel like really does well, right? Like if you look at ALD or Kith or, you know, Concepts, any one of those big retails when they do their private label stuff, it's like, it's stuff that you could, you would see those guys, you know, would actually wear, you know, but it's also stuff that, you know, the average consumer can wear, right? Because it's not too crazy. It's not too loud, right? Like, I think about a lot of this stuff and it, if you look, their offerings are pretty diverse, right? They don't sell strictly minimal stuff. They don't sell strictly over the top stuff. They kind of sell a little bit of everything, which they kind of capture every piece of the market, right? Like there's that overlap, right? If you look at the Venn diagram that you always see people on Twitter draw, right? Like here's the people who are super into like the minimalist stuff, like guys like me and you who will pay a little bit more money for quality minimal. And then there's the people who would pay for all the over the top lot, all over print stuff like that. And then there's the people in the middle. So, you know, you're capturing those people in the middle every single time. But then when you drop the minimal stuff, you have this whole crowd of people here who are going to be like, yeah, this minimal stuff I'm rushing to because it just has a small logo hit here or it has a small logo hit on the pen something. But then the same thing with the loud stuff. Like, I mean, you see it in the subreddits all the time. Like, I'm in a bunch of street rest subreddits and groups, right? And I see them and I and you can see the disparity, right, where they talk about, hey, I don't want to buy this. This stuff isn't for me because it's too loud or this stuff isn't for me because it's too minimal, right? So as a buyer, you have to really think about the entire community, right? And not just your direct community, like, you know, like you've you've helped us expand, like help me expand outside of just the local San Diego area to go bigger and beyond outside of it, right? So you have to think about those people, right? Like the kid in in, in San Antonio who's going who's gonna to need it, you know, the girl from Louisiana who just bought a pair of, you know, New Balances from us or the, the kid from New York who's buying, you know, a prospect pullover or something, right? Like you got to make sure it's, it, it, it covers everyone and somewhere else can can still use it right otherwise you're just going to be stuck in that small little bubble right you know yeah it's it's so that's it's, why you can't really just buy stuff that you like it just doesn't work right <laughs> yeah i mean it works for a small niche right yeah it's crazy too because like i mean i, I in one sense i i'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about this but i almost feel like we're you know we, we kind of live in this like pendulum of of streetwear right streetwear and sneakers right where like the trend goes from like you know i think of like like you mentioned ald kith basics and and you know like everybody's wearing like this kind of you know even like the uh, you could take it to like easier fear of god right it's very much like the same kind of tones minimal branding like you know i i don't know why but i think of like perry ellis back in the day right it was yeah, the one brand yeah. that you, you would never see a logo on it. But if you saw it, like if you knew what it, what it was, they made really nice stuff, you know. And um, but then like kind of like talking about like 10 deep, I think of like Crooks and Castles and, you know, I mean, some of the other brands that were around like back 2012. I mean, like the hundreds and Diamond Supply are kind of easy, easy to, to name there, too. But yeah. they're also like they're more I, I don't know like i guess like more streetwear than like maybe like sort of high fashiony streetwear and i'm wondering if like yeah, yeah. if you know we've we've been in this like we've been on that like you know kind of kith basics you know everybody doing some form of basics for a while and i'm wondering if we're like getting to the point where we're going to swing back the other way and we'll see some of these you know upstart brands coming up cuz I, I think there's there's like those two sides of it but then there's also like 
you know, guys like Gio that are doing stuff, which, you know, we're, I got to get Gio on here and, and talk to him about some of the stuff that he's doing, but like more like almost like, like off-white is kind of the, the like full on mass produced version of what Gio does. Yeah. Right. It's like, like literally making it by hand, figuring it out and doing things that, you know, are completely, they don't fit into this like big graphic stuff. They don't fit into like the basics, but it's really nice. And it's more, this is not to, to put it down, but it, it reminds me of like, like kindergarten construction su- paper and glue supply yeah, kind of yeah. putting things together. Yeah. And people like I that agree. raw element, right? Like it's a very, like, it's a really, really popular thing. And I, it's, it's popular beyond like apparel and, and sneakers and stuff, right? It's popular in the creative space with like Tom Sachs, Casey Neistat, all these people that, that do these like you know, have these massive YouTube audiences that part of their storytelling just becomes a part of that process of literally cutting up the paper or drawing out whatever. And it's like, we're kind of in this weird place where like, that's been really, really popular for a few years. So I'm wondering which direction it goes from here. Right. Cause I, I think like, you know, like at least to me, it seems like Kith ALD, you know, fear of God, all of those kind of types are, are trying to go up the ladder towards, you know, more of a, a polo or something like that. Yeah, high fashion. Yeah. But then you've got like, you know, like for me, it's always about like the kind of counterculture element of it. And I, I think like, we're probably going to get to this point where like those like crazy graphic tees and skate brands are going to be like ultimate trendy. Right. And like, but who is it that's going to yeah. wear that, 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 ultimately sets it off. I mean, Travis Scott's wearing the dunks, but like, you know, now everybody tries to sell their own merch if they're a celebrity too. So what do you think about like how all of that's going to play out? And, and, and I guess too, like maybe your experience with your own prospect brand of stuff too, because you've been really successful at that in a way that didn't really work with soul lab back in the day to the level it has with prospect. Yeah, I think, so there's a few, there's a few parts to that I think about Nick, Nick is, um, that one, it's um, if you think of exclusivity, right? So the stuff that Geo's doing is like one of ones, you know, it's like handcrafted pieces, right? So it's limited. So I think in this age where everyone wants to be exclusive, everyone wants to have something that no one else can have, I think that plays a really important part, right? I mean, if you look at some of the stuff, somebody's again, we can use Kit, right? Because you know, they, he's. Ronnie has really like covered a lot of things, right? As as you know, instead of as much as I I, I hate to be a dead horse, but he's really has covered a lot of the things, right? Um, like the ABC stuff we just did, some of the um, pieces he did, they were like one of one. They were different and unique, so everyone's rushing to them because you buy it, you have a unique piece that no one no one has, right? We did um we had a tangerine. This is a funny story. We had a um t- the, our tangerine event. We had uh, about a year and a half ago in the back in the back patio, right? of the shop they had um we we wanted to do like a kind of faded color on this on the on the just a kit from dago print and the printers couldn't like get the fade the green to orange fade properly right so they all look different right and what we did was we just took it and we ran it as a spin right and we said it's we said you know we advertised this it's a it's like a tangerine because the event was called tangerine it was like a tangerine, how they all ripe different. No tangerine ripes the same. So that's why the fade looks different all the shirt. So people loved it, right? Because it was unique and it's something different. So no one, if you have a tangerine shirt, if two people have a tangerine shirt, 
right? None of them, the fade looks different, right? Some people, it might be green higher up, might be orange, you know, and it was, and it, people thought it was by design, but it was just an error. And we just said, you know, let's just run with it. And well, it's, it looks good. It's something and we can sell it as a unique story. Let's do it, right? Yeah. And I think people like the exclusivity, right? So the one-of-one stuff, the off-white stuff is limited, you know, like just like sneakers, right? You know, we're trying to get all those off-white Jordan 1s because it's limited. Only certain people have it, you know? Like if you have a pair of Red Octobers, you're, you know, you're a sneaker god because, you know, they only dropped at a certain time on this random Sunday. So you're a sneaker god, so they're going for crazy prices, right? But it, that's what it is. It's like exclusivity, right? So the stuff Geo doing is super dope, right? Because it's the one-of-one stuff, it's limited. Um, think of like, you're right. Think of like hood, um, off white, but think, go back a little bit further. Think of hood by air, right? Yeah. Remember the hood by air stuff? Like people clowned it for a long time, but a lot of celebrities wore it because it was limited. There's only few pieces. There's only certain people who had it. If you know, you know, kind of think quotation marks, you see it all the time on, on, um, on Instagram or YouTube on Instagram or Twitter, but it's really like these guys were trying to be exclusive, right? I mean, and especially right now with the trend of all the celebrities and basketball players and over the years i mean we've we talked about this before right the sneak culture has transformed massively right i mean now it's like a thing for all these nba things to have coming down a tunnel and showing what sneakers they're wearing what clothes they're wearing that wasn't a thing back then you know pj tucker rocking the people monitoring what sneakers he wearing yeah. more than how much what's his stats are right like those are that's crazy right like i mean nuts like us nerds like us right who sneaker yeah. nerds like i don't care what people say sneaker culture is getting nerdy it's always been nerdy right but like guys like us who've been watching alan iverson play we're like oh man he's wearing what in the mcdonald's all-star game you know you know like that's the kind of stuff like we were hyping about way back then right i saw i think it must have been marv i mean you're talking about marvel yeah it must have been marv but he has like the breakdown of which sneakers jordan wore when right like people weren't like NBA wasn't paying attention to that back then, right? Yep. Unless you were a sneaker nerd, you know, like you, nobody was paying attention to that stuff. But now it's like a hype, right? So it's exclusive. And then since everyone's doing it, it's all about now who has the most limited, the most exclusive stuff, who has the off-white sales first, who has this first. So I think that's part of it. And then the other part is like, it's a pandemic, man. I told you earlier, man, it's a pandemic, <laughs> man. Meek must said it right. Every the transfer of money is crazy, right? So all these kids are just buying all these expensive limited stuff. So I think that the high premium quality stuff is going to stay for a while because I don't know where all this money is coming from. The 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 um, the U.S. Department of Treasury guns go burr. <laughs> I don't know, right? But they just make it all this crazy amount of money. Like I mean, like I think about like my kid, right? He does a bunch of crazy stuff with his friends. Like they're selling like Fortnite accounts for like 800 bucks. Like people are buying full-fledged Fortnite accounts for 800 bucks. My kid's 15. He should be, you know, selling Fortnite accounts with his other two friends for 1500 bucks, right? They ended up some Fortnite competition. I guess they came third. They got like $8,000. I'm like, three kids, 15 years old, just made $8,000 on playing video games online. So there's money out there, right? So they're getting this money. And now they're like, okay, well, you know, yeah. Lil Yachty is, is Lil Yachty just is wearing these expensive Jordans. I want these Jordans too, so they're gonna buy, right? And because they're following all these influencer kids, right? YMB Corday, all these kids, and you know they're buying Travis Scotts, right? Like they want yeah. the Travis Scott SB dunks, right? Because Travis Scott's wearing it. So all the rappers, all the people who influence them, 
you know, they're they're buying that stuff. Whereas for us back in the days, it was like Easy E is wearing, you know, a, a Raiders fitted or a Kings fit or something or yeah. a snapback. And, oh, we need that. We're trying to get that. We wouldn't even consider, you know, yeah. Cortez's because, you know, Cortez <laughs> is a thing. Chucks is a thing, right? So it's like one of those things, like you're trying to figure that out, right? Like Tupac's wearing Grand Hill feelers, right? On the cover and you're like, I need those, right? Like that's the kind of, it's the same same aspect, but Grand Hills, Grand Hills were like a hundred bucks back then versus <laughs> Travis Scott SBs for $2,000. It's a little bit of price difference, right? And we'll, we'll call it inflation. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. a lot of the things is like, you know, it's 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 really like the high end stuff will stay, right? So you'll, I think we'll, what we'll start to see is like, brands doing the graphic tees and they're not $36 anymore, right? There'll be yeah. a $96 graphic. And I could be totally offline with this, but I mean, like, you, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see like $80, $90 graphic tees and you're like, a hundred T is $90 or diamond supply tees is $90. But that's just how the market swings, right? Like the yeah. graphic stuff hasn't really left, right? That market is still there. Hundreds is still killing. Diamond is still killing. Nikki Diamond just revamped a new store in, in in la right like yeah. i mean they're still killing this crooks and castles still around i mean all those guys are still around they're still selling stuff right is it as prominent now probably it, it probably still is we just don't know because we're not in that in that space as much anymore but i think the graphic tee is still there is just you know you'll start to see it as it gets more expensive and a little bit more limited which is tough to to make any profit of <laughs> graphics tees yeah. with it being limited right because I mean, I can tell you, if you make, if I make 36 Just a Kid from Dago shirts, it's probably not as profitable, as obviously, you know, lower numbers than if I make 60, 64 of those tees, right? Because yeah. 72 of those tees, because you'll make a, this, the profit just scales exponentially the more you make the volume and all that stuff, right? So selling, you know, the unless you have your own production, and even if you have your own production, by the time you do labor, you know, the ink, you know, the blanks and all that stuff, it probably doesn't make sense to make 24 of a graphic tee, right? It all depends, right? But I feel like they'll they'll continue always mass produce these graphic tees. So, but I think the price for graphic tees will go higher at some point, right? Hmm. I mean, we see it now, you know, like graphic tees were like 22 bucks, 24 bucks back in the day. You could have went to Zoomies and buy two graphic tees for like 24 bucks. Now, I mean, we haven't been to Zoomies in a while and they're probably closed right now because of the pandemic, but yeah. You, you you might see them, you know, like selling for thirty for thirty six dollars, and it's forty eight dollars. So I think the price of all those these consumer goods are going to shift to a higher price range because not everyone's into streetwear. Every single one's into streetwear, you know. I mean, Kurt said. I remember Kurt talking one time about one of his random bosses coming up to him, like some guy who's high in the company, who's been in the company for like twenty years emailing asking about sneakers because he found out Kurtz at the sneakers and you're like yeah so i mean you see what i'm saying the market has shifted right and all these parents are buying streetwear for the kids now all these kids are super into streetwear now i mean there's more money flowing you know so i think the prices for all these things are just gonna you know gonna change right and it's gonna increase and so i don't think it's really gonna I think graphic tees are still going to be there. The pendulum will swing a little bit more, but as the price increases for graphic tees and it becomes a little scarcer, I think it'll become a lot more popular, right? And yeah, it's not, I, and honestly, if you think about it, it's not really cool to support small brands anymore, right? Like it, it's just not, right? I mean, it, it used to be cool back in the days to support a small brand, up and coming startup brand, but it's not cool anymore because there's no hype behind it, right? Like, like you said, like we said earlier, if LeBron wears a sneak that 
Los Angeles sneaker history hoodie coming down the tunnel, you might get a spike for, you know, um, a thousand units in that one order of that same hoodie, right? But that might taper off. Because if you think about it right now, rest in peace, Nipsey Hustle. how many people are buying marathon clothing stuff right now, right? It, it was a hype because everyone wanted to support it, but no one's probably, I mean, I I bought marathon clothing stuff before, you know, Johnny and I talk about it, talk yeah, about it, right? <laughs> like I remember when I first heard, I was like, oh, you got a store? I got to go buy something, right? I, I got to buy something, support Nipsey Hustle. And then I remember trying to go on, you know, to buy something else after you pass rest in peace again, you know, and I couldn't buy anything. And I'm like, okay, so I guess I have a gem, right? And Nipsey also was on a crazy, they were on a crazy way before, right? Because yeah. their, um, their tags had the QR codes, like you could download albums, you know, like special release song. You could see videos that you would never see online. Like you, it's hidden, hidden gems. And I... And you know I'm a tech nerd, so I love that kind of stuff, right? And I remember, and I was like, man, this this dude's onto something, right? So it's crazy to see that people you get the spike and then it just dies down because you know it's just a hype thing, it's a wave thing. So I would I'd be curious to see what their numbers are, right? I mean, I know they had a partnership with Puma, so it'd be that probably pushed things a little bit along the way, but they probably haven't seen that influx since he passed, right? Because that's just how the wave goes, right? So it's it's just you know, yeah, I. Th- I think there's like a, there's an interesting piece to that too, where like, you know, uh, like I, I just searched real quick on, on Twitter, but like, you know, I, I was tweeting about Nipsey Hussle in 2009, right? Most people weren't listening to Nipsey Hussle that long ago. And, and like I bought marathon stuff. I don't know when I bought it, but like, as soon as it was available, right? Like I, I bought that stuff because like, to me, like one, one, like, I mean, he was, he was the closest to to Tupac on the level of like inspiring change in my mind and rapping about things. We talk about it a lot with like the lyrics that, that like, obviously the music is, is the, is a draw, but like speaking truth within those lyrics that gets people to think a little bit differently is always a, a draw. And I wonder like how obviously he chose to do it a little bit differently, which is kind of like interesting too, because you know, the, the marathon and like all of that stuff being his own stuff and never up until the Puma stuff, right. He really stayed out of being, you know, quote mainstream with the collaborations and stuff. And I'm sure he had plenty of opportunities because, you know, like, like, you know, everybody that gets any kind of shine, somebody comes along and says, Oh, we should do something. Or, you know, here's this money, just, you know, co-sign us. But so like thinking about that, you know, with, with being a store owner and, uh, you know, doing the purchasing, planning out the product lines, all of those things that you do as like an entrepreneur, how do you kind of balance the, Hey, this is like, you know, you mentioned like the just a kid from Dago, you know, 36 pieces. How do you balance, like knowing that some of this stuff is going to be limited and it's going to have some hype and it's going to create that scarcity creates demand Versus like also having stuff available both in store online and just like kind of being in this position where, you know, you, you haven't carried, you know, a major Nike Adidas Reebok Vans, you know, Jordan brand, you haven't carried those like top tier brands, but you've still had, I would say a decent amount of success with the shop selling a lot of things that I think are curated, you know, and maybe you don't think of it this way, but like, you've kind of curated a lot of things that resonate with, with, you know, the things that you like, right? Like your, 
you're into yeah, sneakers yeah. that aren't necessarily the norm, right? And and in a way that's like like you said, sneaker nerds, right? Like you and I could talk about New Balance numbering systems in a way that I probably couldn't talk to most people about that, right? And and like that would be that would that's like the level of like just you know curiosity, but also like there's some cool factor in that, right? To certain people that, yeah. that resonate, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that, so funny you said about the New Balance numbering situation um, system, because I remember we had a conversation, I'm pretty sure it was me and Kurt about the Adidas torsion bar. We had this long, it was like an all day group chat conversation. We were just talking about Adidas, Adidas torsion. And I remember someone's like, you guys are sick. Why are you guys talk about Adidas torsion all day? I was like, cause you gotta appreciate technology. Cause it's like, it was advanced technology at the time, right? It was just super random, super random thought that just came to my head. Half the half the sneaker people out there probably don't even understand Adidas torsion, right? They think Adidas has been in boost all their life, right? But if you really go back and look at Adidas torsion, it was way ahead of its time, right? Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's I, you said it before. Is like I know you always you always tell me this. You always say you got to sell your story, right? I'm a super reserved person. I try to keep, you know, personal, personal, per my life personal. And you always say, like, you should sell your story. Like, it's unique. It's different. You know, people resonate with this, with selling a story, right? Like, that's just how it is. Um, and I think for me, I've always tried to be a little bit neutral and be a little bit forward in the stuff that, you know, I curate curate or buy, right? I hate the word curate, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> um, but I think people overuse it and they use it in in they use it inaccurately. So, but yeah, the stuff that I buy and look at, I mean, it takes me a while, right? I mean, you've seen these, you've seen these books that they send. It's like 50, 60 pages of sneakers. And then you have to figure out, I mean, it's, it's hard because you're buying sneakers for a year away, right? Like, you know, they sent me new balance stuff and, and socking stuff and ASIC stuff for next, for spring of next year. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what's going on in the world today. Right. Yeah. So one, you have to figure out what, what stuff you're going to buy a year from now right trends could totally change from a year from now right like you can buy all these new balance and somebody could be like new balance is the worst sneaker in the world and no one it's not but no one's gonna you know buy new balance anymore next year right so it, again you're taking a gamble right that's one thing unless it's like a hype sneaker with like some major retailer you know like then yeah it's probably gonna sell because you got those hype beasts out there who are gonna buy the hype sneakers regardless right so it's really, for me, it, it kind of boils down to trying to figure out what I would wear and then think of the stuff I wouldn't wear. So I, and then I try to get the stuff that, that again, Venn diagram, that sits in the middle, right? Like, there are some eclectic stuff that I'll be like, yeah, I could pull that off. Yeah, I can wear that, you know? Yeah, those sneakers, maybe if I don't tie my laces, maybe if I tie the laces this time it might, and, you know, and drop the jeans, right, it might look good, right? So you kind of have to look at that. And then I also have to look at, like, you know, the people, I mean, I work in corporate, right, also. So the people who I work with, who would, the stuff they would wear, right, like the guys that I work with, they're not really trying to buy, you know, a pad of 990 or a pad of 991. They don't care about, you know, that beautiful material or the, or, you know, the, the pigskin squid. They don't care about none of that stuff. Yeah. They just want a basic sneaker that they can get to, right? And I told you this in PB, our number one selling sneaker was in 997H, all black, because there were a lot of bars and a lot of restaurants. So what they have to wear, all the cooks, all the, all, they have to wear black sneakers and they want something comfortable. So we probably sold like 150 pairs of 997 H's, right? And they're $70 sneaker, right? But I would have never thought that. I remember when they 
first started selling, I was like, uh, this is a trend. So I just bought more and then it just kept selling, right? Because it's one of those things. And honestly, I bought those sneakers because I'm like, I would wear all black sneakers and they're comfortable. This is a cheap pair of sneakers somebody can buy. So the, the part that really gets tough is buying the eclectic stuff, like the wild colors, the crazy yeah. color stuff. That's the part that's tough, right? Because how many people are really going to wear a neon green New Balance? Maybe you, you know, maybe me. I mean, the last true hype neon green sneaker we saw was those A-Life tennis ball Reeboks, right? Like that's, those are, to me, those, I mean, we've seen like, it's like some AMXs that with the long bubble, I forgot which one they were, but to me, the the greatest neon green sneaker ever, that's just my personal opinion, was that A-Life Reebok pump, right? Like that's my all-time favorite, you know? I mean, Reebok pumps don't last, the pump falls off. Mine, the pump is definitely off, I know that. Um, I had the pink pair and I sold it, and then I sold it to the guy and he told me like less than a month later, the, the pump fell off, so this is Reebok pump, right? But those neon sneakers, tennis ball sneakers, were probably the hottest tennis ball sneakers not every how many people you've seen wearing those right yeah it's like jeremy many. scott's right yeah like you're probably the only crazy person i've seen <laughs> wearing all the different jeremy scott's right like i mean seriously right like you were you know you hey don't be, all, don't right? be giving like, away my know, secrets so. man most people most people think i'm more subtle on the internet but i just be wearing whatever random stuff starts <laughs> no. conversations man <laughs> yeah but but you know what i'm saying right like it's it's one of those things where there's like a few people who who are going to wear those, right? So, I mean, and some of the sneakers, and and honestly, when you see it in the catalog, or when you see the images, you're like, yeah, no one's going to wear this. But when you see it, the sample in person, you're like, wow, this sneakers is amazing, right? And I mean, my new bounce rep, I used to always tell him, you know, he would send me the catalogs and I was like, I need to see this sneakers in person. He's like, yeah, I'll bring that. So when he brings it and I see it, or even the Asics rep, right? I remember Glenn would bring like some, I would be like, he's like, I know how you are. You got to see it in person. You're, you're you got to see it in person. And I was like, yeah, because you see a lot of these sneaker concepts or sneaker designs on the catalog or the image on the catalog, and it just doesn't do it justice, right? Yeah. You know, you get that Instagram filter on it, right? But when you see it in person, you're like, wow, this sneaker is amazing, right? You know, and it's just one of those things that you kind of have to see a lot of them in person. So a lot of eclectic colors is where the hardest part. Like you can buy the basics you know like that you know will sell right but the hard part is really getting the eclectic colors and one you don't want to sit on a you know it's like i think james whitner said this so it's like produce right like you don't want to buy a pair of sneakers from a from a retailer and it just sits there for you know 60 90 days and it's bad no one's gonna buy it. you might get that one person who might yeah. come in and say oh yeah i like neon green or i like hot bubblicious pink i'm gonna buy it right Oh, I like guava green or whatever colors they come up with these days. And this is, I like this color and it, I have a perfect shirt, right? And before, I mean, before for us, sneaker was like, I think sneaker was like the foundation for your outfit back in the day, right? Like, I mean, we talk about, you know, just like getting braces, right? Like you had your braces rubber band matching your sneakers, right? Like <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. part of your outfit, right? It was a curated part of that, right? Whereas any sneaker you get, you can pull it off, right? You know, yeah, you want some hype stuff, but you can get any sneaker and make it look good. Whereas now it's more of the hype stuff. So people aren't really buying sneakers to kind of form the outfit, right? They're just going for hype to form an outfit. So it's tough to buy those eclectic stuff because people aren't really checking for that anymore. They're checking more for the hype stuff, right? And again, I go back to sneaker nerds, real sneaker nerds, you know, you, Robbie, you know, Mikey, all those guys, like, 
from the history, sneaker history podcast. I mean, you guys talk about the sneakers, right? Like you guys talk about crazy sneakers that I completely forgot about, right? Um, and those guys, and you, you were like, yeah, I'm gonna buy the sneaker because I genuinely love sneaker, and I can pull the sneaker off, not because it's a hype sneaker, right? You might buy it from, you know, some retailer from us, from Prospect for thirty nine ninety nine, right? Because we have it on sale, and then next next week we see you in the same sneaker, and you were like, whoa, is that the same thirty nine ninety nine sneaker? And it looks crazy, right? Because you have some crazy jacket you got from a thrift store, or you know. You got a crazy sneaker history hoodie to match with it, black and the black and blue joint. You know, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So it's like a, it's not the same anymore, right? It's just not the same. I mean, I still have those Saucony sh- shadows you bought me. How long the red ones? When did you buy them from the place in LA years ago, right? Yeah, At least I don't even remember five, man. six years ago. Oh no, like and I still wear like them. Right? Fifteen I wear them. years ago or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was it a was, long time ago. Yeah, you might be right, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you might be right, actually. I mean, and I still have them, and they're still... And most people would probably be like, I would never buy that sneaker. You know, people would... I mean, people would be like, why are you wearing that sneaker, right? And then they'd be like... And I would... The average consumer today would never buy something like that, right? Because Kanye's not promoting it. Yeah. LeBron's not wearing it. PJ Tucker's not wearing it. Travis Scott's not wearing it, you know? And I'm going to be honest to you. Most of those sneakers that, you know, that are hype... They're terrible. I would never wear them, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, I, I mean, I know people people won't say stuff like that, you know. I mean, yeah. we talk about this all the time, you know. And I've, I've heard, you know, Brandon Dunn talk about it also. Like, people aren't honest with sneakers, right? I Welch talks about it also, too. It's like, they're just not honest about sneakers, right? They're not honest. They want to save this relationship, right? And if I don't like something, I'm okay saying I don't like it, right? Like, you should be my friend enough to be like okay well that's you don't like it it's not for you it's everything's not for you some of these hype sneakers are terrible yeah you know and and i know a lot of sneaker designers getting their feelings about it or these sneaker collabor- collaborators but they're terrible like i would not wear them you know it's not for me it's not something i like so i would i my opinion is not a good it's not it's not good well they can get up people can get upset at me all they want but it's the truth for sure but i think that's like an important thing for people to remember right like if if every sneaker that was meant for you, you'd have you know more sneakers than me, and that's a terrible thing, right? Like if if every it's sneaker is meant for you, you, you literally have like hundreds of thousands of sneakers. But so you made a good point about like kind of the way that the the outfit used to kind of be sneaker first, and and obviously now we kind of live in this time where everything is talked about to the level of sneakers, where you know. I don't know, five, 10 years ago, you didn't have, you know, you might have a few people where it's like, oh, what hoodie is LeBron wearing? What hoodie is, you know, whomever wearing? How do you, as a, as a, you know, a sneaker store owner slash, you know, streetwear brand, how do you think of creating like your prospect branded stuff compared to like, you know, the sneakers that are coming out, right? Because if you have access to, to be able to see the, uh, you know, like you said, having the reps bring in the samples and stuff like that, is there time for you to say, cool, I can turn some stuff around to, you know, kind of align with this. So potentially you could put together the full fit for people through prospect, or are you still kind of in this, you know, it's, I don't know, like that seems like an interesting topic considering you're able to see the, the change, like how do you adjust for that? 
that's it's it's you can so what I, what again what we've tried what we try to do is we try to do a little bit of both right because you see what's coming out but you also don't want to be too matchy matchy right it's like the guy in the gym when you go to play basketball he's wearing a full kobe fit right and you're like dude we know you can't play basketball why are you wearing kobe fit from head to toe right jersey lakers shorts Laker socks, you know, he got a Laker headband, like, you, you don't want to be too matchy matchy from head to toe, right? But you want to have like something that complements, right? So if a New Balance is dropping, you know, they just dropped the 550 is black, black and thing, right? The black and silver or whatever it is, like, something like that, we probably would have, we probably could have done like the black and 3M, we could have probably brought back the black and 3M just to get from Dago sure to go with it, right? You know, so like that, a complement piece it doesn't have to be full matchy matchy, right? Or, yeah. you know, you might, it, it might have like a little bit of, you know, Carolina blue in it so you might have a little bit of a shirt with something with a little bit of Carolina blue so you kind of want to have a few pieces to create that Instagram perfect outfit because that's what sells right because people don't really want to think about outfits anymore they just want something handed to them and say here's a fit right I mean you see all the time on these you know shows where um we see all these shows where people go and buy sneakers and buy fits and they just by exactly what's on a mannequin or something like that, right? Like, there's no, like, I mean, I remember back in the days, you had to, on Nike Talk, you had to get creative, right? Like, you're buying grape fives and you're like, oh, what can go with the grape fives? Oh, you know what? Let me go cop the old, you know, Charlotte Hornets <laughs> throwback or something like that. Or the, you know, like, you got to hunt for it to make it, to get creative, right? Let's be real. Charlotte Hornets, grape fives, like, that's just something someone, you just match the colors to make it look right. And you have to get creative with it, right? Whereas now, it's, it's like people are just going to the store and just buying something straight off the mannequin or something straight off from, you know, like whatever the model is on the, um, on you see online, right? Well, because it's online now. So you just have a model online. So they're buying that whole fit, right? And I've been to websites where it says shop this outfit. And I'm like, no, I don't want to shop this outfit. I just want the sneaker, right? So yeah, you can, you see all this stuff. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of brands probably curate and do their private label stuff to that. We haven't tried it. Though. We just tried to, I mean, for one, most of our products are kind of San Diego inspiration driven, right? Because the problem with San Diego community is there's so much that that lies in San Diego community and no one really knows that, right? So unless you understand what's, unless you live here and you kind of like explore San Diego and see the rich history in San Diego, you just kind of, it kind of gets lost, right? So what we try to do is like, we, we've tried to like, a lot of products, we've tried to like, you know, theme them or name them after um like places in san diego parts of san diego history you know um or it's themed that for something in san diego related so like there's a backstory right like well for example i would go to we'd go to one of these places and draw some inspiration you kind of think think about it and try to tie a story back into it right instead of just dropping some colors so i would say probably 75 percent of the stuff is like that the other stuff is just kind of like um the other stuff is just kind of the other stuff is just kind of like, hey, you know, maybe we can we can figure something out to matchy matchy with these sneakers that are dropping. But for the most part, we try to do most stuff that are related to San Diego in some way, shape, or form, right? And we try to tie that story back because I mean, we've talked about it. The story part of all this stuff, the the story part of all this stuff is is super important, right? Like having a backstory is. And telling the rich history is something that's important for, I don't know, I, I think for brands, right? Like for me, uh, I know you're you are you're Alan Iverson fan, so I can use the Alan Iverson story, right? Like his story is super fascinating. So regardless of what 
I buy Iversons, you know, I bought a lot of Iversons just because I supported his story resonates with me, right? Now, the hardships he went through and everything. So I think that having the story behind it is really important. So, and then we just expose San Diego in a light, right? Because I know everyone thinks of San Diego as just a beach community. It doesn't have streetwear, but when you get into the, when you get into the weeds of it, like you roam around the city of San Diego, there's so much, if you go to Escondido, there's so much history up there. If you go to Oceanside, there's so much history up yeah. there, right? You know, I mean, a lot of people still don't realize that Oceanside Pier is the longest wooden standing pier in you know, all of San Diego coastline still, right? Like it's still, the, it's the oldest and the longest one. And that's like my, I mean, some people might not care, but those are like important, you know, history parts of the, the San Diego County that it's important, right? And I think a lot of, for it is like a lot of us for our product, private label stuff is more branded around the city, right? Like what's going on in the city. And I mean, it's cool to do like, you know, everything else, right? Like promote every other every other part of the world and everything but we live in san diego why not just represent san diego and it doesn't have to be a san diego city skyline on every shirt doesn't have to say the word san diego on every shirt right i mean we did the um december nights um flannels right because december nights i don't know if you know it's like huge in balboa it, it well it was huge before the pandemic yeah. in balboa park right it's like a, it's almost like a whole two, three day event where you just go and it's like concerts and everyone is in Balboa Park, you know, and it's chilly, right? It's late in the afternoon. It's so we did flannels to represent December nights, right? You know, different colors to represent, you know, the different color lights and the different people there. And it was, it was a big thing because we wanted people to realize that, you know, like December nights is a thing in San Diego. Um, we did, we reference we it pull inspiration from it. That's why it's called a December nights flannel, right? Just like the, Carlsbad Valentine's Tea, right? Um, the the prospect was written in flowers, right? It's little flowers from the flower fields in Carlsbad. You know, it's huge in in San Diego. If I mean the flower fields, when you drive and buy them, you can see them, right? And people go there for Valentine's Day, and you know, you pick flower, you can pick flowers for your bay, and you know, you hit her with a love ballad of some sort, or whatever the case, <laughs> whatever you're into, right? But it's like huge, right? Like, and that's you know, like that's what I'm saying. So if you've never been to San Diego and you you wonder about the Carl, the Carlsbad flower fields. Now the tea is named after it, so you can be like, "Oh, let me go peek this. Let me go check this one next time I'm going to in, in California." You know, because I feel like everyone comes to San Diego and they go to the zoo, SeaWorld, Legoland, and you know what? And beach, um, <laughs> the Wild Animal Park, right? That's what they know, right? But there's so much more to San Diego, right? Yeah. You know? And there's so many hidden gems, right? Um, like we're dropping the Presidio, the Presidio pack, right? Like Presidio Park, right? It's kind of, it's a little park that um, it used to be, it was a fort, it's a fort and a mission that was for settlers, right? The settlers, when they came to San Diego, they were protect, they built this fort and the mission to protect the people. So that way, you know, when they were getting attacked, they had this fort, you know, it's like all that little stuff is just built in San Diego. So you kind of have to draw the inspiration. So it's, I think it's like a, mix of trying to not be matchy matchy and trying to you know still sell the city and drawing some inspiration from the city right like to me it's a little it's super important to make sure that the city is represented in our products right yeah definitely i mean and, and that's something like I, I i guess like i've always admired about the way you do it because there's so much nuance to the products that you're making that people don't really get to see unless they understand and get to like 
you know, read the story on the site or whatever or social. But I guess like going back to, you know, like your, I guess your journey with all this streetwear stuff, you know, one, like you, you, you spent many years in the service salute. Thank you. Uh, I get to do this shit because of people like you, but also like, like that experience probably, you know, getting to travel around the world, I assume shaped the way you like create products, look at product, but also the way you probably look at, at San Diego and look a little bit closer at things than, you know, most people that are just like sitting in traffic. Let me get home and turn on the TV and be done yeah. with it kind of. So how do you, how yeah, do you I mean, relate that, you know, through like the products that you're making? It's, it's crazy because I mean, I remember, I remember going to Japan, go, we were in Japan and we were, you when you're in, when you're in Japan you have like short liberty right like they probably give you a few hours of liberty right so everyone's trying to go to the bars and get drunk or trying to go hook up with some chicks somewhere or something right me and others we're going for sneakers right because we're sneakerhead we're, we're sneaker nerds so we're going out we're look we're trying to and remember this was there's no real internet back then right so all you're seeing is from like old magazines soul collector magazines probably back in the day or like random you know just kind of stuff that you heard from someone else you knew from New York who parents traveled to New York or something, right? Some, and then all this information combined and you're just hunting, right? And you can't speak, I can't, I can't speak Japanese. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to speak Japanese, but you know, English was a little bit, you know, a common is a common language across the, the world. Right. So you would be like able to ask, you know, you see some guy with some Nikes and you'd be like, yo, where'd you get those? You know, where can I go buy? So you want to, hit all these Japanese spots, right? And this is before, you know, really sneaker became super mainstream, right? Like it was a little mainstream, it was like a little underground, but like buying the, the CO.JPs, you know, all those things back in the day. And you'd go overseas and you'd go, and I were, I had big, I have a, I was like 12, 13. So, and most Japanese people were small, have smaller feet. So you'd go into these places and there'd be like walls of sneakers as just 12 and 13s. And you'd be like, yeah, let me see what I can get. But you also got to remember you're traveling with the military. So you have limited space. So you could probably get one, maybe two pairs. I remember when I was there, the, um, the, uh, bread 11s came out right in Japan. It came out in Japan first before it came out in the U S I remember buying three pairs. So girl I was dating at a time, she wore a size six, I believe. So I bought a pair for her and I bought two 12s to myself. And I mean, we were fighting to get them because it was early over there, right? And we were getting them months early. And I remember I spent, I was a boot in the military, right? I spent my whole paycheck buying three pairs of Jordan 11s, bread Jordan 11s, you know? And she, so I remember she's having it in New York, right? Early. And then me having these two pairs and I'm like, okay, well, she has it early in New York, but I'm in Japan with everybody else. And guess what? Everybody else has it, right? So and then you kind of meet people and you start to talk to people and you realize like, you know, like damn, Japan's a dope culture and you kind of get some influence on their style and how they do things. Right. Um, even going to places like Guam or, you know, or, you know, when you, when you're in Europe, right. When you're in Europe, you see, you know, it's completely, the style is a lot different than it is in, in, um, in the U S right. Like they're more like form fitting stuff. They've always been to like more form fitting kind of clean where, where we hip hop took over and we were in super in baggy jeans, you know, at some point, everyone was wearing, except me, I'm pretty sure I was, I wasn't wearing Junko jeans, you know, <laughs> I'm still waiting for them to come back. It's going to come back. Junko jeans is going to make it come back. And they were expensive too, when they were out. Right. So, I mean, that was a trend. So, but 
most Europeans, I mean, I've kind of gravitated to the runners, right? Like Jordans are cool, but I've always gravitated to the runners look, right? So for me, like that's always been like something that I, when I buy products for, or when we make products is like, how is this going to look with some, some runners, right? Whether it's AMX one, whether it's a, you know, a 577 or a 576 or, you know, 574, you know, like, or, you know, or some Saucony shadows or, you know, just some whatever, right? You know, where some DMX system Reebok or whatever the case may be is like, how is this going to look with some runners, right? Because I've always been into retro runners, right? And Jordans are cool, high tops are cool. And it's it's a thing, right? Everyone's into it, but retro runners, I've kind of gravitated more to over the years. So most of the product, you know, I've kind of always, you know, just from seeing different people across the world wear it, right? Because in Japan, yeah, they love Jordans, but they also wear a lot of runners, right? You think of like the Atmos Air Max ones, you know, in Europe, runners are a big thing, right? If you notice most of the sneakers, Pada, Pada and those European brands that I've ever done are mainly more retro runners, right? So they've kind of focused because that's a big trend over there, right? Um, it's only in the US where, you know, I think Jordans is, most of the Jordans are probably sell, right? I'm sure it's kind of transcended more now because I think I read that China, they sell a lot of LeBrons and those high top basketball shoes, right? But for the most part, retro runners have always been my thing. So, I mean, you know that. So it's kind of one of those things where that's kind of always been kind of like a core inspiration for me also is like, how will this, you know, look if I wear some sweats and some runners or if I wear some jeans and some runners, you know, or can I pull this, can I wear some dress, can I wear a suit with some retro, with some Air Max ones and a tie and still pull it off, right? But that's the kind of, I think that's how, over the years going to all these different countries, you know, have kind of influenced me because I've seen that you can pretty much do retro runners with almost in every style, right? I mean, you think Japan, you think Europe, you think the US, even in the Caribbean, right? In the Caribbean, they wear, it's kind of changed now because it's more West driven. So they have, you'll see a lot of Jordans and stuff, but in the Caribbean, it was more like soccer was a big thing in it, football, they call it in the Caribbean, but football was a big thing in the Caribbean. So you know, Umbros were big, you know, yeah. Adidas Sambas were big. You hardly saw any Nike, any Nike stuff. If you had Nike um, soccer shoes, you were, you were well off, right? But so you'd see a lot of Umbros was a big thing. Pumas were a big thing. Um, Adidas Sambas were a big thing. So like those were, you know, I mean, I still have a pair of Umbros that that's probably, um, I mean, I've been in the US for 20 something years. I still have them, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're trash, but I never got rid of them because that's the shoe I wore. Yep. And when I came up to the US, right? So I, and I just kept them, right? But it's one of those things where those are the shoes that those are the kind of trends over the years, right? Not the big, bulky, you know, you know, like, I don't know, over, over the top, high top sneakers that people wear, like Balenciaga's. It's not really a thing for me. I would never wear that. It's just too much, right? Like, it's just not my style. You know, I'd rather much wear some kill shots, right? Or something, or some trail, or some some tune air runners or something, 96 Amaxes over Balenciaga's. Call me crazy, right? If I had a choice between both of them, I'll probably wear a pair of Amax or a pair of 997, 998s over Balenciaga's any given day, right? So I yeah. think that over the years, just me traveling and and I pay attention to people wearing retro runners, right? I was just in the airport and some girl was wearing, um, she was wearing some, the Serena 97s from Off-White. I love those sneakers, man. I just love those sneakers. And she was wearing them. And I was surprised because, you know, she didn't really look like, you know, and again, you, can, you can't really tell who's the person into sneakers, but I saw her wearing them. And, 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 and I was like, oh, and I saw it from a distance. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, right? And I love those sneakers. So 
And I was like, okay, well, she's wearing it, you know. And she was in like a, you could tell she was traveling for work because she was in like a pants, uh, um, skirt suit. She had mm-hmm. her blazer on and, you know, she obviously probably had her heels in a bag, right? But she had those on and she was walking through the airport with her bag and I'm like, and it looks so dope, right? Because she was wearing like a gray skirt suit, right? And I'm like, see, you can wear runners with almost anything, right? You know, so it's just, I think that is part, probably one of the main influences that I've gotten from traveling over the years, right? You know, just that runner's look, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is crazy how it's evolved into like that being, you know, more of universally accepted, right? Like I think sneakers as a whole has become more accepted, but also like, like thinking about non-sneaker nerds, how, uh, you know, an Air Max 90 retro since they dropped a bunch from this last year, that's something that like, I could totally see even like, you know, my dad wearing at this point, right? Like, which I wouldn't have said that 10 or 20 years ago, but um, it, so like in, in regards to that, right, obviously with, with the pandemic, everything kind of shifted, you have to figure out like, you know, one, you're traveling less. I know you you do a little bit of traveling for, for like the day job, but like you're traveling much less than you probably did before. And then you also got to figure out how to almost like focus in on like, okay, is this, you know, like, do, do you open the store, do, you know, part-time? Do you, like, just, you know, move told, towards online? Tell me, like, how that worked for you. But then also, like, what do you think, you know, where's it all headed? Are you, like, is, is you know, I don't I don't remember where lockdowns are at down there in San Diego right now. But I think we're, we're slowly, everybody's slowly moving past this. Although I think you and I both agree that, you know, this is a long, this is going to be a long road. Yeah, this is, a, this, yeah, this is a long road. Um, so, I mean, so, you know, we were leaving the old space in PBM, moving to a bigger space in North Park was kind of the transition and then pandemic happened right in that period of time, right? Luckily, the owner was super cool, old Marine vet. He just said, he's like, yo, I completely understand what's going on. I don't want you guys to come in here and be locked down and just pay me a bunch of money, right? He was, and I applaud him for that super chill. I still talk to him. We still kind of go back and back once a month at least. Um, so I think, I, I think the hardest part for most smaller retailers, including ourselves, is how most of our sales wasn't really generated online, right? It's more of people who go into boutiques. I mean, you know, people who go into boutiques, consignment shops, they're going in for an experience, right? Like, I mean, again, we can talk about the kit, we can talk about the ALD stuff, right? Like people who are going into those places are going for an experience, right? If you go into Full Locker, you're not going for an experience, right? Because Full Locker is Full Locker, right? But when you go into smaller boutiques, retail spaces, you know, like you're trying to go in for experience, right? Experience, you're going in for some sort of conversation. You're going in for something different, right? That you would get at a Full Locker or finish line or whatever the case may be. So I think it's going to be really tough to sell that experience online because a website's a website, right? Yeah, you can make it faster. Yeah, you can make it prettier, but a website's a website, right? What different differs in the retail experiences when you go into a store you run into somebody like say a nick right who knows sneakers right he's wearing some crazy reebok questions that you've never seen in your life right and it just draws your attention it's from mcdonald's all-star whatever case maybe it's a pe you know i know you you know like it's something crazy right and that's that conversation right and the crazy part is which is the, the part that's crazier sorry is that in San Diego is a lot of tourists, right? So people come here, like 
a dude is coming here with his girl, right? He's a, he's into sneakers. He's seeking out those small boutiques, right? To shop shop at, right? So he wants to go in there and chop it up with the guy in there, see what he has on his foot, right? So he can, you know, like do something for the gram, right? Flick it up for the gram, right? And that experience is not there anymore. So it's going to be really tough for for most smaller retailer boutiques to just say, I'm just going to transcend online. Because let's be real, it's it's not that easy for a smaller, it's it's easier now in this day and age, but the it's a red it's a red um, red ocean market, right? Like there's a lot of sharks out there. There's a lot of a lot of people com- competing against it, right? So you're not really getting the unique experience, right? Unless you do like some crazy website where it's like a crazy vi- virtual experience to shop, and you know, and I'm sure somebody will, right? Like you put on some halo lens and you can go in and you can shop and you can kind of be in the store experience, and that's probably where it's headed. But right now. Retail shops, events, and that experience is what people, you know, people look for, right? Like having that event, that in-store event is kind of like, you know, what's important. I mean, I, I look back to the Soul Lab days, right? Like we had those art and sneaker stuff like once a month or whatever. And I mean, I remember one time, this is before we got an Aces account, the rep was like, you know, he didn't know, he didn't know if, you know, people in San Diego was really into lifestyle Asics. He didn't know. He, he lived in Carlsbad too, right? Older guy. You know, Glenn's a great guy. Loved him. Love him. He um he said he didn't know I was like Glenn just come to one of our events right literally I told him I was like just come to one of our events right Friday night I'm like worst worst that could happen you get free beer and you get some pizza that's the worst that could happen right and you you get you get to talk to me that's the worst three things that could happen right he came out I mean that probably it wasn't one of the the most um attended one we had but it was a pretty big one I mean. The guestbook had like I probably could look online on the guestbook. There's probably like 110 people in our little shop in, in Oceanside, right? And that's a lot of people in that little shop, right? Yeah. I mean, and we had no AC, so it was a hot box, right? It was like pandemic. If it was a pandemic, everyone in there would have <laughs> would have gotten COVID, right? Because it was a hot box. But everyone came out, right? Like people from far and wide. I mean, there are people who came out with their top sneakers. I mean, I still have a sneaker circle picture somewhere. I have pictures of people holding up all their sneakers, you know, and it's crazy because those events, I mean, a lot of people got to know each other because of, you know, that 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 event, right? Like I met a lot of people in San Diego who were into sneakers, you know, people met each other who were into sneakers. I remember um, years later, I worked at one of my previous corporate jobs and some some guy who got hired, he's like, he comes, he came, he came to my office and he's like, yo, He's like, yo, you own Soul Lab, right? I was like, yeah. He's, I was like, you don't remember me? He's like, nah. He's like, yo, I was I want the art show stuff. So we had the videos, and I went back and I looked at some of the videos, and lo and behold, he's in the video, and me and him are talking, and we met, right? So it's like crazy to think that you know those events bring people together, and that's really drives like the community, right? The culture, right? That drives it big time because then you get to meet people, right? I know Zoom is cool, and you know. FaceTime's cool, all that stuff online is cool, but that in-person experience, it's just, it's unbeatable, right? Like you just can't beat it, right? You know, um, I remember even in the prospect shop, right? There were guys who were into sneakers who would just come in the shop just to chop it up and talk sneakers. It'd be a Saturday. This guy should probably be out with his girl, you know? I mean, he probably got out of the house to be away from his girl, right? Or whatever the case may be. <laughs> but he would come into the shop and just talk sneakers, right? Like chop it up, right? Like there was one guy who worked at New Balance for a while, and he, he was doing sales now for medical stuff in San Diego. And he would come into the shop. He was still a New Balance fan, but he would come into the shop and just chop it up and talk sneakers with us, right? And it's like, this is that community feel is not there anymore, right? Because the pandemic has, you know, 
stop that pretty much. So I think a lot of retail spaces will have to, we have it will have to go back to in person in some magnitude. Events will have to come back in some magnitude, right? I mean, we talked about doing different events in the new space, right? Like me, and you talked about it quite a bit, right? Um, and like that event thing is event and that community space is kind of needed, right? Like, I mean, we talk yeah. about like having a unified space for like sneaker culture, and that's you know, and just for like people to learn about sneakers, right? Like. I think it's a little bit different learning online because it's like school, right? Like you can learn school all day long from a book, but that in-person learning and that in-person interaction will like stay with you forever, right? Because part of that conversation just remains with you. So I think that at some point it's going to have to go back to in retail. I mean, it's going to be slow transition. Um, I'm actually surprised to see a lot of um, small boutiques opening multiple stores across you know states now right new stores across states right i mean you see corporate announce one um there's other stores that are announcing other new locations all over which yeah. is surprising to me right because they probably knew, know something that we don't right oh they, they've probably been in the works for a while right but still it's kind of it has to go back to that event thing right i mean it's just one of those things that just has to come back because for smaller boutiques to really survive and to really like thrive in this space that event and in-person feeling really has to go. I mean, sneaker politics had that block party thing like once every Sunday, right? Which yeah. was huge for this for this city. I mean, I went one time when I was down there, and like it's crazy, dude. It's like everyone. I mean, it's a Jordan brand event, but it's crazy because it's like it's literally like just a block party every Sunday, and you're like, this is great for sneakers, and yep. you know, like that's part of the culture, right? Like people come in, you see someone with a rare Jordan that you've never seen in your life, a PE or something like that, right? So. I think that part has to come back for us. I think that it's going to be a little tough because again, San Diego is a huge tourism town, right? And without that tourism, you know, we're kind of dead in the water, right? Like we might have a small space at some point, right? But we're kind of dead in the water, you know, and you kind of have to, we will kind of have to figure out some sort of online, you know, um, mechanism that could propel us, right? Whereas San Diego, I was, again, I was just reading that San Diego tourism, the hotel, hotel industry is down at least 67% still right now, right? And even though they're opening San Diego back up, and you see a few tourists downtown. I mean, I live downtown, so I see a few tourists here or there, but most of the places aren't, you know, they're just not doing well. Like, if yeah. you walk downtown right now, there's so many coffee shops, so many restaurants just gone, right? Because yeah. one of the ladies at the coffee shop said that she makes her annual um, operation expenses just off Comic-Con. And we haven't had, wow. we didn't have Comic Con yeah. last year. So imagine just losing your entire year's worth of, you know, of revenue just from Comic Con not being there, right? So you're completely dead in the water. And I'm not even sure if they're going to have it this year, right? Because, I mean, they haven't really come up with any sort of, um, my friend who works at the convention center, she said they've been working and selling and pitching all these um, convention ideas, right? And they have a lot of good ideas in place, but it's, for all the corporations to actually believe in it and buy into it, right? So once that those those ideas are bought into, then they'll probably have it. And she said that, you know, um, Comic-Con, she, I mean, she, she, she predicts that stuff will be back. She said this to me a while ago, at least. She said that stuff will be back, excuse me, April or May, but we'll see, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people still need to get vaccinated for herd immunity. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, but I definitely think that, that community feel will have to come back, right? Uh, you wrote in one of your, your outside the box newsletters that I'm talking about the Nike Melrose stuff, right? And that 
like that was a good starting position for Nike to bring it in. I, my personal opinion, they didn't utilize that platform well enough, right? Because I mean, if you think of LA, right? LA is, I don't know, a mecca for sneakers, right? Yeah. It's summertime all year round. Like it's pretty much it gets what fifty five degrees. Yeah. Ooh, it's cold, right? I mean, it's cold for us because we're wearing hoodie or whatever. But <laughs> it's a mecca, right? For I mean, people say New York, right? But in the winter time, New York is dead for sneakers. Let's be real, right? Like no one is in New York right now is can be saying, "Oh, I'm gonna rock my off white Jordan ones," right? It's winter out there. It's like twelve inches of snow. <laughs> yeah. Someone in LA is probably wearing theirs right now, right? Yeah. So. I always debate this with people in New York. I'm like, LA probably has a beat because it's summertime all year round. You can wear jeans and sneakers all year round. So I just think Nike didn't properly utilize that Melrose, you know, spot that they did, that neighborhood spot they did. If they had if they had tap into the community, right? You use people like you, people like Jacques, people like um uh what's I forgot uh at, Jeffrey, right? Jeffrey. If yeah, people, yeah. people like those, all the people in the community who are big in the community and utilize and done more to bring more awareness, right? They could have, I mean, think of Nike should have hosted a sneaker history event, right? Where they just do, you know, to have you talk about the history of sneakers in, and you just go through like different, you know, this stuff in the archive. Like those are dope things they could have done to utilize that space to bring more education to, you know, we talk about this all the time, the education in sneakers to people, right? And I think it would have been more valuable, right? It's not going to cost Nike a whole lot of money to have some Gatorade, you know, some pieces of pizza. They could have tapped into the local community and just have them be part of it, right? And they, it was a squandered opportunity, I think, right? And it's corporate being corporate again, right? You know, they didn't really utilize the corporate stuff, right? And I'm sure someone in the boardroom right now is probably kicking themselves and saying, damn, we didn't use, we squandered the opportunity, right? Because it, I mean, that's a perfect opportunity for them to had promote a Black Lives movement, right? Yep. Instead of waiting for, something to happen, that was a perfect opportunity for them to tap into the low socioeconomic community, tap into the black creators in LA. Um, the, all the guys from Bricks and Wood, Circulate, all those guys, they've been producing products for a while, right? Yep. Why didn't Nike tap into them, right? They've been on Melrose and, and, and Fairfax all the time. They could have tapped into those guys and try to promote the black movement, right? Before the Black Lives Matters thing. So that's why I feel like it was a huge quantity opportunity, right? I mean, and I mean, again, I'm I'm trying to keep my reservations as as neutral as possible. But you know, I have my how to handle this stuff, right? A lot of these companies don't handle it properly, and they don't tap into the community as much as they should, right? And that's why I was telling you, like, working with smaller brands, up and coming brands, isn't cool anymore. It's just not cool, right? I mean, why would you tap? Why would Nike be tapping into all the top people who are already famous, like? You got to start with the people who are grassroots, right? Like promote their story, right? I mean, that's what made like Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, right? Because of his grassroots story. LeBron James, Allen Iverson getting, you know, this lifetime Reebok deal, right? Like that's, those stories are great because it's like you tap into grassroots. You're not really just going for the star player. Like they gave Zion Williams a Nike deal. They could have, I'm sure there's some other great NBA um, college player who could have got a good Nike deal? He's probably just as good, but he's not getting the shine or the limelight as Zion, right? So, yeah, it was just that that Melrose thing was just a huge squandered opportunity, man. Yeah. So, so do you think, like, obviously with with Prospect and you know, like talking about community and how you've been able to kind of build a community around the shop there, and uh, one, I think that the you know when we get to go back to some sort of normal life, uh, I've probably said this on on a podcast before, but like, 
I'm just going to literally be walking into places, hugging people like, yo, it's just good to see you. I, I don't even know you, but like, I'm just, I'm just happy to be buying a coffee, a burrito, a pair of shoes. Like, I just want to support people because I miss it. So I think, I think like genuinely other people are going to yeah. feel that same way, right? We all been kind of cooped up. Yeah. Yeah. Even if yeah. we haven't, even if you've yeah. had to work through this, even if you've had to travel within all of this pandemic, you're still missing a lot of the human connection. Do you think that, that, you know, I agree with you, you know, obviously living right there close to the Melrose store for, for a few years. Um, I mean, it was only there for, I think less than a year, but I think, I think it was cool that they, that they did something. I think, yeah, they absolutely missed the mark with like what they could have done. Do you think that it's possible for the brands to, to really do that? Or do you think that like that, that's where, you know, something like prospect comes in where like you are the actual, I, I think personally that like brands almost can never do that because like you almost have to have somebody who's local in the community and not to pick on people that work for, for big corporations. But like when you work for a big corporation, your mindset has to shift to, you know, make sure that the orders, you know, that the, the work is sent back up the chain and you get the approvals from above you rather than like being somebody that's just like out and about in the community whether you're a shop owner or, you know, working in the community, you support in the shops. It feels like to me that, that someone like you that has a, a, a store in, in a place where, you know, like San Diego or L, LA, Melrose, wherever you want to put it, that gives you uh, like a much more personal and, and like, you know, deeper connection with the people in the neighborhood than a brand can even ever have, even if they got the big pile of money behind them. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I think for like, for us, like our community really was built on like, I admittedly the, the backs of the, the kids who, the guys who worked in the shop, right. You know, like Alex, Nina, Shay, Josh, you know, um, Sarah, Uriah, all those guys were born and raised in San Diego. So they have, you know, that community feel that community ties already. Right. Whether, and they've, I mean, they're all younger, right. So they, they're into all the stuff that, you know, my wash self isn't really into, right. Like, you know, Josh spinning, Alex and Nina, you know, running, running through the, you know, the Mason community, Uriah being, you know, close to all the, all the guys in the, you know, on the bar scene, Josh, you know, it's just Sarah being, you know, like she's into modeling stuff. So all that, all that was kind of tied into the community, right? Um, Jay, even Jay being, you know, cool, Rossi Rock and, you know, Leon, all those guys, right? So it's kind of like the community was built on everyone coming together and kind of tying that together, right? That's what the community is. When it, the hard thing about the community is actually, I know a lot of the, these communities believe that, oh yeah, no one, no one wants to, you know, support our community, but the community doesn't support itself nine or 10 times, right? Like they don't want to band together to actually form the community to make it bigger. So I think that's where it's tough for a lot of brands because they might have one person that they can tap into, but the rest of the people won't want to support that one person because they're like, oh, well, not adjusting, you know, Nike is, is pushing Justin. Why should we support it? Why didn't Nike support me, right? And I think that's where the problem is. They don't look at it as a bigger picture, right? Like. If Nike is supporting Prospect, right, and they give us some deal to push something, right, and we decide, okay, cool, then all the other shops or all the other people shouldn't be pissed off, right? They should be like, okay, well, this is for San Diego. This is not just Prospect. This is bigger than that, right? This is bigger than, you know, Prospect. This is this is for San Diego because it's like, you know, small on the map. We're trying to put the city on. So I think 
that's where a lot of community stuff is 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 has some disparity because they don't really support each other, right? And I think that there are people in the community that you can reach out to, the Ellis statesman or whoever, to kind of give them that reins to kind of do a lot of um, to do a lot of free free power thing to push the brand in the community to make the community better, right? And they just don't reach out to it. And there's a few reasons, right? I know everyone thinks a collab is just a collab. It's easy to do, right? No, there's so much legalities in it, right? I mean, Saucony did collabs where they couldn't release because of legal issues, right? And I mean, as much as people don't see both sides of it, right? America is so happy, right? I remember in undergrad, one of my, um, one of my college professors was suing the college he was working for. So he had a lawsuit against the school and he was still teaching me, right? So, I mean, America is so happy. So if Saucony or New Balance or Nike put out something, they have to run it by all the lawyers, right? And run it by everyone to make sure there's it's not a legal nightmare down the road, right? Because you don't want to, the last thing you want to do is get some sort of lawsuit, right? Especially the big organization yeah. that you can potentially lose, right? So I think a lot of people don't realize that, right? They get frustrated with their brands and all that stuff, right? The, the the brands have a checklist and they to protect the brand right in the long run right i know people say any marketing is good marketing that's not true right it could be bad it could it could kill the brand right let's be honest right yeah. so there's a checklist that they have to follow to make sure that you know if i'm going to push if i'm going to grab prospect and push them to do something guess what i we got to go down a checklist you know and make sure this dude fo- abides by all the things that we do as a brand and we're affiliated with this person. So that way, you know, we don't have a loss coming back. Does this dude has, you know, drug dealers chasing him down the block every day? We probably don't want to be affiliated with them, right? Because we don't want to be having an event and there's a drive-by going on in PB, right? Let's yeah. be real, right? So, and I, I think people don't understand that. And that's why, and they also don't want to, and for, from my experience, a lot of people, get greedy right um they they don't think of you know like it's an opportunity let me ex- experience this opportunity learn from this opportunity and grow right i remember we were trying to Saucony, we were trying we were trying to do that 30th shadow thing i still have the video i never posted i probably should post it at some point but we were trying to do the 30th anniversary of the shadow right and shadow 5000 and we did the video and you know we we're talking to them or whatever right and I was trying to explain to the, the guys at the shop like why it has to be done a certain way and why things have to be a certain way. That's because I had already spoken to the reps and you know they told me like you know the legal stuff and the background stuff and you know and I try to explain it to people and they're like, well, why can't we just do it our way? I was like, no, because your way is probably inexperienced. So we do it your way and, and there's a whole lawsuit comes about. Somebody has to pay for that, right? Like who's yeah. paying for all these lawyers, right? Like. The brand isn't the brand isn't trying to pay for lawyers to support our lawsuit. No, so I think that's where the problem lies. Is everyone wants to do it their way, but they don't understand like legalities, the process in play, and stuff like that, right? So they get mad at all these brands and they get mad at how they do stuff. Oh, I want to do this way. Okay, yeah, you want to do the shoot this way with this addition. Now we have to create a mold for you to do a special shoot, right? You know, like the comp. And they come to Garcian, phone pauses, right? Like, I'm sure all these people are pissed off because they never were able to do a new phone posit style. But yeah, they have to create a new mold for this shoe for you, yeah. right? Like, you're no, you're not in the big grand scheme of things. So it can't be done your way, you know? Like, you have to follow the process. So it's, I think it's tough because 
they can tap into the community. And I think we have enough, we had enough people who kind of represented different parts of the community in San Diego, you know, and where you can kind of tie people in. So you would get, I'd say maybe 70% of the support. When we had the Tangerine event, that was crazy because that was like people from every little part of the community really see them come out, right? Like, you know, and it was yeah. really interesting. And that kind of transcended things because then a lot of people started hitting us up for events, right? And we're like, okay, well, you want to do an event, you know, like, what's your event plan? How do you want to plan? What's They had no idea what they want to do. Everyone just saw that the um, success of Tangerine and just thought that we were like club promoters or event promoters. <laughs> no, we're that's not where we are. We, we, we'll support you, but you got to have a plan, right? And then when you tell us your plan, we'll tell you like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? And these are the reasons why. So now go back and reformulate the plan. So I think that's what, that's where the community part comes in is like everyone being able to come together, you know, educate each other and support each other. And that's why I feel like it's tough in most places for just a big brand to come in and do it because they don't understand that it's just, it's not as easy as they, as they want it to be, right? Like you can't just yeah. say, oh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way because, because it's, it's not, it's not that way. Right. Cause you know, there's two parts to it. You can't do it your way. And then the brand has to protect themselves legally. Right. So that's where, that's why I feel like a lot of it just isn't, you know, isn't, doesn't really mesh well because there's a lot of egos in play. Also people want to do it their way. And then, if the brand don't support it their way, then they go online. You see it all the time. Yeah. The brand don't do it your way. They go online and slam their brand. And you're like, dude, the brand, like, did you read the contract? Did yeah. you understand what was going on for the brand? So, yeah, so it's just a mess, man. And But I said to say it is possible if done in the right way, right? Because it seems like a lot of these brands are investing in people to have, um, to have like, you know, good community relations, good community feel, right? So I think that, you know, they've been doing a lot of good stuff. I mean, Matt with corporate does bigger than sneakers, right? Yep. You know, that's a big event. I'm sure he probably gets a lot of support for that, you know, so stuff like that where they give back to the community, right? That's, those are important things, right? Um, Ronnie just did the Knicks thing. I mean, I know that's, it's Knicks and whatever. Everyone hates the Knicks, Knicks tape, all, Knicks tape all yeah, baby. <laughs> but um, I just think that it's, it's giving back to the community is like a big thing, right? Like if you're a Knicks fan, like I remember going to the garden and you, you're buying tickets for like 26 bucks, right? I mean, I lived in New York and I remember we went to the Knicks, the Knicks game. It was like $36 for a ticket. You got pretty decent seats. Knicks was trash, right? <laughs> now, ev now it's everyone is a Knicks fan, you know, like you can't buy a ticket, you know. This is even before the Nets were in Brooklyn, right? They were still in Jersey, yep. you know, and this, you know, so it's just, you know, it's just different, right? So that community feel is still kind of there, right? Um, Ryan did the, the M3 thing. That was huge. The bmw thing because uh, it brought a lot of the i mean we talked about this before like doing something with honda for our yeah. acura right for something big for you know related because that car community is a big thing right like everyone who's a bmw fan was hyped about the. they don't even know who kith is they never bought something from kith they didn't even know they don't even know who the owner is but they know it's bmw and you know bmw pushed it so that was a big thing for the, the bmw community m3 community you know so that's where you know can you imagine some some imagine you doing something like that for like acura right or honda right that's yeah. like major right and you know like you do something type r related right and you know like everyone who's a type r enthusiast just comes out the world they don't even know who the hell stature is they don't know who nick Nick is, they don't know who sneaker history is, but they know these three people 
<laughs> entities just did something for a type R, you know, like yeah. some crazy type R. And then all of a sudden that community is built, right? But one, you will have to understand what the legalities are for Honda. And then Honda has to put their trust in you, right? So that's where, and I guess, and also you can't let your ego come into play, right? Because you don't know what it takes to build a car. I mean, yeah, you do to build a car in your garage. Yeah. But on a massive scale level and all the legalities they have to go through, we don't know what it takes, right? Like, yep. you know, they have hundreds of lawyers just on the on payroll for that. So I think that's where the brands and the local community people don't mesh, right? There's some sort of ego part and no one to, and don't want to be educated. That team of the theme of education comes back again. Like educate the person on how we do the process and how it goes versus um the brands, so the brands could put their trust in you, right? Like, if I'm a brand, I'm not going to want to put my trust into someone who just comes in the boardroom with eager, right? And I know it's cool to be, I want to do it my way. I want to do it this way. The brand, I want the freedom, you know, like same thing Kanye did back in the days with Nike, right? Yep. But I'm sure they do everything for a reason, right? All these rules are written in blood, right? I, my One of my drug instructors used to say in boot camp, right? Rules are written in blood, right? Like someone somewhere before screwed something up, so they had to make this rule, right? And it's not personal against you. It's just that, you know, it's a precautionary measure. So, yeah, yeah that's where that big disparity is be- between the brands and the local community. Man. And I wish that it wasn't like that, right? I mean, can you imagine Nike putting up basketball courts back in the day, right? You know? spending money to revamp all basketball courts in low socioeconomic communities, you know, how dope would that be? Right. Like those are things, I mean, I told you about the time we were in, we were in Iraq and we wrote Nike to get, you know, a basketball hoop sent us to Iraq and we never got anything. No one ever said anything back to us. We wrote N1 out of all the brands. We wrote N1 because N1 mixtapes were huge back then. We wrote N1. They literally sent us a bunch of shoes, a bunch of jerseys, a bunch of basketball shorts, two full basketball hoops, basketballs. I mean, they sent us like, it was boxes of stuff, right? Yeah. And you're like, out of all the brands, and one did this, right? And Nike could have easily done it, right? I mean, they make military Air Force ones or military Air Force ones like crazy back in the day. We support the military, right? They, I mean, that's just a ploy, right? Like, and one genuine, I mean, and one didn't have to do that. They were a smaller brand. Yeah. Everyone in Iraq, like people were rocking and ones. I mean, we had full court press, with two basketball hoops, <laughs> full, I mean, full setup they sent us, right? We built it up and, I mean, I'm sure I could find pictures of it, right? And we had, like, full N1 jerseys and Thai cheese and stuff like that, right? And, you know, and you're like, I mean, half those guys didn't even know who N1 was, right? Because, yep. you know, Nike was a big basketball brand. But they didn't support us at the time, right? I remember we, I mean, the lady, she sent us all that stuff and she sent us some cards. And there was a picture of the team that sent us all this stuff, right? And then we just signed the flag and, you know, uh some flags and you know like we had some flag memorabilia stuff and we signed it to them we took pictures and we sent it back to them and you know we kept in contact throughout you know deployment right but it's crazy because you would think out of nike would you know it's an american brand and they make military themed sneakers all the time and armed forces sneakers but when the armed forces really needs you you know you're not there to support us right yeah well and it's interesting because i think like you get into like the 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 politics of corporate and the you know, uh, the, the too many people, you know, having their hand in the cookie jar in terms of making decisions, right? When like, and yeah, one is probably yeah. small enough to just yeah, be like, yeah. look, this is for the right reasons. This is a good thing. We should just do this. They do it. And the crazy part is like, you know, I bet you nobody at that, at and one at that time ever talked about it 
in any public space, right? Like, you know, it was never on the internet. No. It was never like, let's get this in a magazine to say we did this good thing for, you know. No. Yeah. But I don't know, man, it's, it's pretty crazy. So I, I it's, I've had you on for a while. I'm going to, I'm going to end it on that. Like, I think that's like actually really important for people to understand like how they come, whether that's to you as a shop owner or, or, you know, a brand or someone working at the brand, like just being able to kind of try to understand both sides. Right. Because I think we've had that conversation many times where, you know, you run into these issues where things you, obviously you, you always want things to go, you know, a certain way in your mind, but like, yeah, there's yeah. compromise there at, at every step. And, um, so my last question before we get out in 2021, are you, are you opening a shop? Are you suggesting that that 18 year old that's hungry to, to get into the sneaker game and open his own shop opens a shop or are you still holding out and waiting until, until pandemic is completely said and done and then, then doing it? Uh, I would say do it. Uh, I know it sounds, it might sound risky, but I think it's, you have to do it, right? Because again, it goes back to what we said, right? It's that community feel, that event feel. I mean, I remember when the internet came first came on board, you could buy sneakers online. Everyone's like, retail is dead, retail is dead. And I mean, sneaker nerd or not, old guard or new, or new sneakerhead, you still want to go into a sneaker shop and buy sneakers and talk to people, right? I mean, every time I go somewhere, I search out all the boutiques in the area right? Consignment shops or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll hit them up and see what, what's going on, right? I mean, I think that still exists. And I think, especially with everyone being cooped up in the house for the past, what, year, right? People are dying to get out and go do something, right? Whether it's sneaker related, whether it's um, just go to a bar, whether they go to a movie, to a museum or something, right? People are dying to get out. So if you're 18 years old and you're trying to open up a shop, trying to do something, just go do it, right? I mean, the worst case scenario, it doesn't work out, right? And you learn something or it might just flourish, right? And you might just grow beyond, you know, any, your wildest dreams, right? So I think it's just go do it, right? I mean, I'm probably going to do it. You know, I'm, I've been toying with that idea. I've been looking at different spaces continuously, you know, trying to figure it out. And it's, it's really just, you just got to do it, man. Not uh, Nike is not paying me to, to, <laughs> any, in any way, shape, or form. No brand is paying me in any way, shape, or form. I mean, Prospect's not even paying me right now. So I think that, you know, you really just have to, you know, do it, right? And that's, it, it's, because what happens is if you don't, I mean, we talked about this, right? You said it in your in the newsletter is like all these smaller retailers are just, you know, getting swallowed up, gobbled up by this big, these big conglomerates, right? And I think, my personal opinion, a lot of these smaller, when they get gobbled up, they lose their luster, right? It's not, um, they because they not have to conform to the corporate rules, right? Like you said, everyone has their hands in a cookie jar. So when you're small and independent, you kind of have your own rules and you can kind of play by your own rules and do things, you know, there's less people to, to run things by, right? So uh, when I think the smaller retail s space has to kind of stay alive somehow, some way, otherwise, you know, the culture just becomes just becomes hype piece culture, right? There's no one learning. There's no true, um, you know. And then, let's be real, right? If you a small brand, like like I hope Master P, you know, and this is my personal opinion. I hope Mark, Master P and, and and Baron Davis buys gets to buy Reebok, right? Because I feel like I don't want the brand to fade away, right? I mean, again, yeah. you wrote about this also in the in the outside of Boston. I don't want the brand to fade away, right? And that's what what could possibly happen is the brand could fade away under this massive conglomerate, right? I mean, 
yeah, they'll still have all the hype collabs and everything, but it's not the same when you're, you know, like, I remember, um, I forgot the shop, there's a shop in Ohio, they did some crazy sneaker release, right? Because the people were saying they were backdooring all these sneakers. So what, literally what they did is they took their backdoor and they created a, a window and they were selling the sneakers out the back door as a it's just a joke right yep. as a meme because awesome. people were saying they were back doing all the sneakers right uh, i forgot the, i forgot the name of the sneakers they're in ohio in columbus um but yeah they they um so that's the kind of fun things that you you know like um small boutiques can do yeah, right you can like, only do that you as create a small your boutique. own work way right yep. um yeah right because but when you have like a big corporate parent right like you have to you're answering to someone now right it's almost like you're answering to the man, right? So you have to run these things by them. There's somebody, you know, I know they, they say, oh, we're still independent. You're really not, right? Like you have to answer to someone because you're your uh, entity under that big conglomerate, right? So if you get sued, guess who's getting sued also, right? Yeah. Like it's going to roll back to them, right? So, yeah. So I, I would say that 18 year old, just go do it, man. Even if you do a 500 square foot space, a 400 square foot space, you know, you buy a printer and you put it in your parents' basement, or your parents' living room, you know, and you just print it out your room or whatever the case may be, just go do it and, you know, just explore, right? Because that's literally what it is, right? It's just exploring, trying to figure out, you know, what works, what don't work, you know, and you might get that hit where LeBron is coming down the tunnel and, you know, some, you know, some one of your, your product and yep. all of a sudden you look, you wake up the next morning and you have a thousand orders and you're like, uh, I have a one t-shirt <laughs> press. You know, and I have to go to school today, so I don't know if I'm gonna print all these today. You know, so yeah, you know, it's it's worth a shot, right? That's the that's the worst case. It's worth a shot. So I'd say go do it. I'm gonna do it. You know, um, you and I talked about it a lot. You know, something has to happen, right? So we'll do it. So we'll be fine. Yep, yep. All right, man. Well, it's been awesome to ch to chat with you. Uh... I guess let everybody know where they can find I mean, Prospect. Sorry the streets can't see the bear head, man. <laughs> I'm sorry the streets can't see the bear head. Hey, I might but, still use know, that for the thumbnail. We'll get <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, it was good chopping up, man. Always great talking to you. You know, good times. Once in a while we catch up, you know. It's not the same as Texan, but, you know. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll definitely be catching up, you know, I'm sure sooner or later. Yeah, I, I, I need to take a trip up there at some point. Yeah. So we'll see. So Definitely, right. man. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks again. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. All right. Peace.